Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. All right, here's a note for you. I don't know if this is accurate for the entire state of Mississippi. I'm not even 100% sure that it's accurate where I live in Oxford because I don't have Oxford-specific data or data, if you prefer. Memphis is the closest big city, so I'm using that as a point of reference. This from Weather Underground. Hello, sunshine. That's what many across the southeast will be shouting this weekend as dry, sunny, and warm conditions are expected. They show a chart. Borky, this is insane. The heading on the chart is when was the last dry weekend? For Atlanta, it was the weekend of November 17th and 18th. Same thing for Raleigh, North Carolina. For Memphis, the last fully dry weekend. No rain on Saturday, no rain on Sunday, October 27th and 28th. I knew that it had been wet. I didn't realize that it had been two full months since we had had consecutive days on the weekend without rain. I mean, it feels like it's rained every day since the Thursday of my wedding weekend. Well, it really has. I mean, it it, feels like. Geez, they showed a chart. Um, Atlanta has had only four sunny days since the 1st of December. It's almost like living in Cleveland. Everybody makes Seattle jokes, but the Southeast actually gets more rain than Seattle does on average. Anyway, so, good news. Despite the fact that today is disgusting, it's cold, it's wet, it's gray, and it's raining, the next two days across the state of Mississippi, across the Southeast, you're going to have some sunshine, and it's going to be a little bit warmer. Now, you may have to wear galoshes wherever you go because the ground's so wet, but hey, that's okay. Sunshine, clear skies, I'm on board. Good Friday afternoon. Welcome to Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. We're glad to have you along for the ride on this Friday. Sports Talk is brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. Online, mslandbank.com, Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. What does that mean? Well, it means if you have land financing needs whether you're actually buying land or you've just got something that is an expense related to land and you're going to be financing it, well, go to Mississippi Land Bank. They've been doing it for a 100 years, actually a little over a 100 years now at Mississippi Land Bank. They understand the financing business. Fantastic people. You can find branch locations scattered all across North Mississippi. You can find those on their website at mslandbank.com where they know the lay of the land. Brian Scott Rippey in the studio, Michael Borky in Jackson. Boys, you ready for the weekend? Borky, you're going to sneak out and play golf? If it's dry enough, I will. It's not going to be dry enough. Yeah, that's the only problem. I, I mean, it, it stopped raining, and, and I went into my backyard. My neighbor's dogs are ripping up the fence to try to get to mine, and they're not nice dogs either. Um, so I've, I've had to do repairs on the fence because they won't do it. Um Anyway, so I was walking around the yard after it had been sunny for a few hours, and there are still just standing water puddles all over my backyard. So <laughs> I don't know if the golf course is going to be ready for that or not. Yeah, probably not. Rippy, you're going to make a little road trip tomorrow, huh? Nashville bound? I will. I'll be there for the SEC opener tomorrow. So probably no golf for me either. Yeah, probably. You, although you played golf last time you were in Nashville, didn't you? I did twice. It was great. Yeah, there you go. Not a bad sports weekend. I don't know if it feels like, you know, if I just said, hey, what's the sports weekend like, and you didn't really think about it, I mean, you might be in the neighborhood of, nah, I mean, the national championship game's on Monday night, but it's pretty good. FCS national championship game, if that is your thing, Eastern Washington and North Dakota State, two NFL playoff games, wild card games on Saturday, Colts at Texans, Seahawks at Cowboys, You have five SEC basketball games tomorrow coming up as well. Uh, Let's see. Kentucky at Alabama, Georgia at Tennessee, Arkansas at Texas A&M, South Carolina at Florida, and Ole Miss at Vanderbilt. Those are all tomorrow. On Sunday, 
Chargers Ravens is at noon. Eagles Bears is at 3:40. If you're crazy kind of like me, you're enjoying the golf. You've got golf going on in Maui on the PGA Tour. And then on Monday night, as I mentioned, it's the national championship game with Alabama and Clemson. Not bad for the uh, the second weekend of the month of January, or first full weekend of the month of January. Not bad at all. I'm looking forward to it. And then you Except kinda, for the fact that you're going to be in the car for eight hours tomorrow. I might get there early enough to watch the early playoff game. Probably won't catch much of the night one, but I'll definitely catch both on Sunday. Yeah. You can have it up on your computer or something. While driving? No, while the game's going on. Oh, oh I thought you were saying do that on the road. No, and then you can put the football game on the radio on the way back. Just saying, there if you, you want to consume the football, you can do it. Uh, of all the things that are happening this weekend on television, in sports, what are you most excited about? Rockets Blazers on Saturday night? Really? No, but that should be a really good basketball game. You'll probably have to get a pirated feed uh, in order to watch it unless you have League Pass. But uh, I really think the Chargers can... You love you some NBA. <laughs> I, I like the uh, using the Reddit feeds even more because it saved me about 300 bucks this season. Um, I think the Chargers are a legit Super Bowl contender. And even though they're playing in Wild Card Weekend, I, I want to see how true to form they are um, playing the Ravens, a team that I think they're better than. And then I guess the winner of Seahawks-Dallas will go to New Orleans. Uh, knock on wood, cross my fingers, hope it's Dallas. But those two games I'll be primarily focused on this weekend. That's like the most perfect Russell, I mean, the most perfect Phillip Rivers draw ever, right? Like they have a really good team. They're probably the best or the second best team in the AFC. And then here's your prize. You have to go to Baltimore on wildcard weekend. What were they? Well, one result away from? Would, would you rather be going to Chicago? I'd rather be not play, like you. I'd rather have won my division. I guess. I mean, not that they didn't have every chance to, but it just feels like for the year they had, that's a pretty tough draw. Maybe it's because I'm kind of in basketball mode and have been for a while now. I'm really looking forward to the opening weekend. Now, it's not the greatest slate of games in the SEC. Here, here's the thing about the SEC this year. There really aren't all that many bad games, regardless of the two teams that you put together. I mean, unless South Carolina and Texas A&M are playing each other, some might argue that the game that I'm doing next Saturday, Missouri at South Carolina, is not one that just a ton of people are excited to watch. But there aren't many clunkers this year. So Kentucky at Alabama, eh, Kentucky's got to go on the road. Georgia-Tennessee, I mean, I think Tennessee certainly is better than Georgia. I know Tennessee's better than Georgia, but Georgia's got some players. And, you know, you got the Tom Crean thing going. Um, Ole Miss at Vanderbilt could be fun tomorrow night. Yeah, it could be. Interesting game. Vanderbilt's kind of a team trying to find itself again after losing Darius Garland, but they've played well lately. I mean, they've won four or five with their lone loss coming at Kansas State, and they've beaten Arizona State. So. Playing better, but what will be interesting about the SEC season this year is how teams bounce back after losses and avoid, uh, you know, a three, four game slide that seems more capable in years past. Because you don't have, like, barring catching South Carolina or something like that, you're not going to have a break in the schedule like you might have in years past. It's really kind of crazy looking at the four teams that are not playing this weekend. And, you know, it sounds like a, a broken record. We've talked about this before, the reason they're not. The, the four teams that are not playing this weekend are the four teams that are not part of the SEC Big 12 Challenge. And it's based on results from two years ago and where those teams finished in the league. And it's kind of crazy because Mississippi State, who you know is probably either the third or fourth best team in the league, at least to this point of the year, not playing. Auburn, who is probably either the second or third best team in the league, not playing this weekend. Missouri, who's kind of a middle-of-the-pack SEC team, not playing this weekend. And then I'm missing one more. Who is it? Who's the other team that's not playing this weekend? Um, anyway, whoever it is. You get the point that I'm making, though. So, you know, Haydad mentioned this a week or so ago. It's time to, to scrap the idea of this being a two-year cycle, and it ought to just be based on 
what you did a year ago. So the bottom four, because there are only 10 teams in the Big 12, the bottom four don't play in the SEC Big 12 Challenge. That's a big marquee deal for your conference to have two of your top four or five teams in the SEC not participating in that this year. A little crazy. Happened last year, too. Didn't Auburn get left out of it, if I'm not mistaken? Yeah, it's the, I mean, it's the same four out last year. So it's Auburn, Mississippi State, um, who did I, Auburn, Mississippi State. Who did I just mention a second ago? Uh, LSU, Auburn, Mississippi State, LSU, and Missouri are the four that aren't participating in it. So three of the three of the four are top half of the SEC teams, and the other one's a middle of the pack SEC team. Kind of crazy. Off and running with you. We're going to talk some college basketball next with Dane Bradshaw from the SEC Network. Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. Back with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm Friday afternoon. Right now on the Farm Bureau phone line, check out favorites.com and go with the home team. Dane Bradshaw from the SEC Network. Dane, I'm not sure that the the anticipation or the countdown to the start of conference play in basketball is quite the same as it is for most people for football. But with that said, the anticipation for the start of this SEC basketball season maybe is more than it's been in a really long time. Would you agree with that? I would. I think it's because the teams at the top, have met expectations, and the one team that hadn't in Kentucky has now starting to gain their stride. And so you sit there and say Kentucky hadn't lived up to the preseason hype, yet they're 13th in the country entering league play and trending upwards. So uh, I think that's a positive sign. And then other teams um, that have maybe not had as impressive non-conference schedules or victories but are still in the hunt, um, whether it be Vanderbilt, Arkansas, Alabama, some of those teams um, that definitely have their fans' interest coming into conference play because, as you know, in the SEC and basketball, you know, with there being so many, you know, football-type schools, you've got to keep your fans' attention in the non-conference. So they might not be fully focused, but you can't just put up a uh, stinky non-conference resume or they, they, you know, oftentimes won't show up for conference play. But I think they're uh, across the board, most all these teams have, have their fans' interest heading into league play. Yeah, and because it's Kentucky, the way we measure them is different than the way we measure everybody else. You talk about not hitting their stride until just recently, and you look up and all of a sudden in the last two weeks they've got wins against Louisville and North Carolina. Hello, I guess they're getting it uh, getting it corrected as league play comes along. How much of Kentucky hitting their stride and playing better at this point is because Quad A Green moved on, John Calipari's been able to tighten up the rotation a little bit and, and maybe get a little bit more buy-in from some of the younger guys? I don't think it's one thing, but I do think that's part of it, and that's not a knock on Quad A Green, but any time that you most likely have a player that's you know concerned, and not to say he was selfish in any way, but you know obviously um, things weren't working out for him individually, and so when you can move on from that and like you – uh, put just now where they can tighten up their rotation. You're not concerned about you know who's going to be starting at point guard tonight, who's going to be upset and sulking. But I think overall, they're, it, it's it's less about Quade Green and more about Tyler Hero shooting the ball really well and getting confident. P.J. Washington playing with, with a consistent motor. Ashton Hagen assuming that point guard role and just become that bulldog defender. And now all of a sudden, because we know Kentucky fans can be as critical as anyone because of their sincere interest in their team, now what's scary for the rest of the SEC is that home court advantage at Rupp Arena becomes even more dangerous. And oftentimes, even if I think all things are even, you know, when you look at Tennessee, Auburn, Kentucky in terms of their roster and talent, oftentimes I pick Kentucky to win the league just because they're so unlikely to drop a game at home. And uh, to, for them to lose multiple games on the road, okay, two or three, well, now you look up and they've you know, only lost three, maybe four league games, and that's typically good enough to win the whole thing. Dane Bradshaw on your radio from the SEC Network. You played at Tennessee. You're calling that game tomorrow, right? You're, you've got Georgia-Tennessee tomorrow? 
I do, I do. I've, I've lucked up. Tennessee has gotten too good for me, man. You know, it's the Jay Billis and Jimmy Dykes of the world, Matt. So I snuck <laughs> one in. So hopefully I don't get replaced by tomorrow at 3.30. But for now, I'm on it. Well, here's what I was going to get to. You, you mentioned the home court advantage for Kentucky. You played at Tennessee at a time when Thompson Bowling Arena was really rocking. Are, are Tennessee fans back fully on board? Is Thompson Bowling comparable right now in home court advantage to, to Rupp or maybe uh, maybe uh, Bud Walton when it's full and, and really rocking? Yeah, your, your timing of that question is impeccable because you don't typically gauge fan bases and their interest and enthusiasm for a team when they play a home game against on Christmas break against a team like Tennessee Tech. But that's what just happened on December 29th, I believe, and they had 18,000 in there. And wow. Rick Barnes was just shocked. Um, I was at practice today, the assistants, uh, the SID, everybody was like, man, did you see our crowd against Tennessee Tech? It was unbelievable. And so, um, you know, I would expect there, you know, uh, to be a sellout crowd tomorrow against Georgia, a 3.30 game on a Saturday. And, look, it's two factors typically on these schools. You know, one is your program doing really well, which Tennessee right now is on pace to possibly be the best team they've ever had in the history of Tennessee basketball. And, two, a lot of times these fans, they've got built-up frustration over how the football season ended, and they want to <laughs> redirect that to the basketball attention, and that can happen across the SEC. And, and right now, I think uh, you're seeing sort of that perfect storm in terms of the fans across Thompson Bowling Arena. And, and you know, unlike Ole Miss and other places where it's really tough to draw your crowd when you have one-hour commutes that you're asking a large part of the fan base to come, you know, Tennessee has a huge advantage of being in Knoxville. It's not just a college campus. It's a huge city, you know, in terms of you know, college where SEC schools are located. And yeah. the fans can turn out with a much shorter commute, and they tend to do so. I think there's an interesting matchup tomorrow night at, at 7.30 on the SEC Network. Ole Miss is at Vanderbilt. The Rebels are 10-2 and two to start the year for, for Kermit Davis in year one. Um, Vanderbilt seems to have kind of not that you're going to replace losing a guy like Darius Garland, who's likely a lottery pick, but but they seem to kind of have found themselves and figured out how to play without him a little bit. Is that a good matchup tomorrow night in Nashville? Uh, I, I think so, and that's a, I also believe that it, it's a great test for Ole Miss. And while it's not going to be the same as you know winning at Rupp necessarily by any means. But if you can come out of that game with a win at Memorial, which is historically one of the toughest places to play in the SEC, and yes, Vanderbilt lost Darius Garland, but now all of a sudden that non-conference record and everybody that's starting to look at Kermit Davis and say, you know, hey, he's the type of guy that, you know, he can beat you with his five guys, and if you switch rosters, he beats you with your five guys. I mean, he just, just give this guy a roster and he finds a way to win. Um, but I, I do, I think – two of the more exciting and athletic point guards in the league that don't get talked about enough, Brian Tyree for Ole Miss and Saban Lee for Vanderbilt, who's having to take on even more of a role with Garland out. I think that's going to be one of the uh, best matchups to watch tomorrow night. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming online at supertalk.fm. A couple more minutes with Dane Bradshaw from the SEC Network. He's in Knoxville tomorrow for Georgia and Tennessee you're going to see a guy that I got to see. You may have done a Georgia game, uh, but I saw on Sunday for the first time Nicholas Claxton for Georgia. And one of the things that we talked about on the air is his skill set looks a lot more like a pro skill set than what you normally see in college. A, a 6'11 guy that can handle the ball, uh, that can you know bring it all the way up the floor. He leads the team in rebounding and steals and assists and blocks also, I think, and maybe a second on the team in scoring. Nick Claxton and what he does for Georgia, but but maybe the bigger question, is there anybody else in the SEC who's a little bit off the radar that when we get to the end of the year we look up and go, and that's a guy that that, that is an all-SEC type player? Yeah, that's a great point. I think Nick Claxton is definitely one of those guys. You're right. The way Tom Crean moves him around with sort of their Princeton-type offense where you got a 6'11 guy that's looking to come off a screen, but then all of a sudden he back cuts at, uh, a slower defender for a dunk, or now he's bringing it up the court, um, whatever it might be. And so I think he's he's definitely one of those guys to, to keep an eye on. Um, you know, in terms of, of an NBA prospect that doesn't get talked about a lot necessarily, you know, 
Alabama has a guy named Herb Jones. If you look at his stats, you say, man, I don't know you know, what's so great about him because he doesn't shoot it well, doesn't score it well, but he's their unquestionable leader. He's um, got the terrific length, and he is an all-American defender. And if you can, I think he's an NBA prospect for sure because you don't have to be great at everything in the NBA. You can be a specialist at one thing, and there is no question his defense translates to the next level. So whoever's best player is on whatever team in the SEC and you turn it on, look for Herb Jones to be guarding that guy, and he'll most likely shut him down. Who's more likely to pull the upset tomorrow, Alabama at home against number 13 Kentucky or Georgia on the road against number 3 Tennessee? Alabama at home. I, I think they've they've got the talent there. They can match up with Kentucky's size. Um, and I think the, the, the fan base is interested enough to come out to, to pack the house. And they're starting to play better. They've had some slip-ups losing to Georgia State. Uh, but they had a good win against Penn State in the non-conference, and so they're playing better. Riley Norris is back, and uh, you know, and, and Kentucky's getting better, but they're not so intimidating that they've already won the game before you even left the locker room. So uh, I would look for that to be an extremely close game. And Tennessee's just playing so consistent right now that it's it's hard to uh, predict or expect them to have any type of uh, slip up. You know, when you when you turn that game on. And watch Tennessee. It's like you Googled how to play basketball. I mean, it's like an instructional video the way they're playing right now. Yep, no, no question. Rick Barnes has done a fantastic job in Knoxville. Dane, thanks for your time, man. Should be a fun weekend, and I uh, look forward to catching you on television tomorrow afternoon. Anytime. Have a good one. That's Dane Bradshaw from the SEC Network. Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Friday afternoon with you. Glad to have you along for the ride. Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank Online. You can find them at mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. Right now, Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. Chad Ryder from NFL.com. He is a draft analyst. He's been doing that for almost a decade and uh, he's kind enough to spend a few minutes with us this afternoon. Chad, Happy New Year. How are you? Oh, um, very well, thank you. I'm um, glad to be on. And and I've been uh, actually next year will be my 20th year evaluating draft prospects with NFL or CBS or on my own. So, how about that? Uh, so it's NFL.com yeah. since 2011, right? Yeah, that's right. Well, 20 years covering the guys. You got to be a college football guy and you got to love football to stick with this for that long. Certainly a lot of the people that listen to this show are big college football fans and have a focus on the state of Mississippi. And this is a year where there are a bunch of guys from Ole Miss and Mississippi State that are not only going to be drafted, but are going to be drafted high. Um, let, let's start with Mississippi State. And it kind of feels like when you break it down between Mississippi State and Ole Miss, it's defensive guys from Mississippi State offensive guys from Ole Miss. And, and let's start with the middle of that defensive line. Jeffrey Simmons, no question, unbelievably talented, probably an impact player in the NFL, but he's also got some baggage that hasn't been talked a lot in the la- about in, you know since, since he enrolled at Mississippi State. How are NFL teams going to look at some of his past and balance that with his play on the field? Yeah, I think um, that has to be part of their equation. Um I haven't heard of anybody taking him off their boards due to it. I mean, he's had some time to kind of, um, you know, uh, write the ship on that kind of stuff. And as long as he keeps, um, you know, everything positive here between now and the draft, I don't anticipate that making a big difference. But, but let's face it, um, you know, there are six or seven defensive tackles that could get picked in the first round this year. And when you're balancing that versus a Dexter Lawrence and a Christian Wilkins and all these other guys, I mean, only so many teams are going to pick a defensive tackle in the first round. So yeah. if if that off-field stuff ends up being a tiebreaker, um, you know, least, less surprising things have happened than a guy like Simmons dropping into the second round because of things like that. So it wouldn't shock me if that happened at all. 
Um, and it also wouldn't shock me if he ended up in the top ten because he's amazingly talented. I mean, he, he showed in the bowl game, you know, what a um, wrecking ball he can be, especially when fresh. I mean, the first couple series, he was just constantly in the play. And then, you know, the more you play him, he gets tired. And that's, you know, the, that's the way it works. Um, in the NFL, you part, you're part of a rotation where you're not out there quite as often. And if you're with a good offense that keeps the defense off the field, then you can be fresh more often. And um, So, you know, he's a real talent, and he's fun to watch. Um, not yeah. would not be fun to block, but fun to watch. <laughs> yeah, no, no question about that. To your point a second ago, in fairness to Jeffrey Simmons, uh, there has been nothing except positive since uh, he mm-hmm. got to campus in Starkville at Mississippi State. You mentioned Dexter Lawrence. Does the the failed drug test or the ineligibility for the college football playoff have an effect? Is that something that, that NFL teams are really going to dig into before they make a decision about him? Well, somebody will dig into it, but I, I unless they find something that is uh, – my, my guess is that it was a supplement that contained something that he didn't realize it did. And, yeah. you know, you have to take personal responsibility for that. And, he needed, I mean, yeah, he's not – you know, uh, you know, he's setting out. He's being a good teammate. He's doing what he needs to do. But that, again, that's a factor. Teams will look into that. But I don't really don't think, unless he tests again at the combine, I don't think it's going to be a. I don't think it'll be an issue. Uh, I think he's too talented. Now, what can be an issue is if a, is if a guy that big is going to give you the pass rush you want, um, and he shows flashes of being able to do that, but. You know, uh, the teams, you have to be able to stay in the game on third down to be like a top 10 pick. So my guess is that he'll end up getting picked in the 20s. Um, maybe he's the defensive tackle. It's kind of the odd man out because he's not um, as explosive or quick as a, as a pass rusher. Maybe he ends up falling out of the first round because of that. But I don't really think it, if, if that was the case, I don't, that's not really because of that, that test, unless some new information comes out that we're not aware of yet. So, so at Mississippi State, Jeffrey Simmons on the interior, Montez Sweat out on the edge as as a rusher. What do NFL teams at this point value more with, with the emergence of guys like Aaron Donald and Fletcher Cox and Chris Jones in Kansas City th- this year? Is it still the edge rusher that can go get the quarterback, or is it that disruptive interior lineman that can absolutely wreck everything? Yeah, um, well... You know, I think defensive coordinators would want at least one of these, right? I mean, I think if you if you have one, if you have one, if if you don't have guys on the outside um, that can create the um, pressure from the inside pocket, then from the outside, then they can avoid the guy on the inside by double teaming them. You know, and and, and you can really make it. Um, you try to, you know, minimize the strength of what you have. So you really want at least one of both. Um, but I, I, so, you know, so you want cake and pie. Right, right, exactly. Um, but, you know, if you think about it, you know, who's the first guy that's going to get into the eyesight of the quarterback? It's the guy in the middle. Um, the guy on the outside is going to have to work hard to get there. And, and so I think if you press them and you know you can get consistent effort from a defensive tackle that is constantly – not sacking the quarterback, but getting in the vision of the quarterback and making him uncomfortable, I think they'll probably take that over an elite um, edge rusher. feels like Jonathan Abram is a name that is continuing to gain momentum as we get closer and closer to the draft. Uh, you know, a secondary guy that, that isn't you know, prototypical as a strong safety or as a free safety. Uh, what, what do you make of him? Is he a first-round talent? Is there a market for Jonathan Abram in the first round? Yeah, I believe there is. Um, I'll probably put him in the first, uh, probably in the middle of the first round in my first mock draft. It'll wow. come out after the the uh, underclassmen uh, had declared. I think in terms of leadership, I mean, I've heard nothing but good things about the guy. Um, and you know, he is. Um, he did get caught looking in the backfield in the bowl game. You know, guy got past him, and so that's going to happen. And somebody on Twitter, you know, got to me about that and and said, "Hey, what about that?" Uh, and I think most coaches would say, if you give me a guy that's as aggressive as Abram and as smart as Abram, occasionally he's going to get older aggressive, and he is going to make a play like that, and you know, you'll try to learn from it. But I think you want a guy that's aggressive like that, 
and occasionally he gives up a big play. Every defensive back who has ever played football has given up a big play. That's not you can't judge a guy just based on that. Uh, but he is constantly in the backfield. He's constantly diagnosing plays in front of him, uh, and you know he's a fantastic player. There's always that one safety that kind of creeps up, you know, during the process a little bit, and, and I think I think he's the guy that we're looking at this year. Chad Ryder, he is a draft analyst for NFL.com on your radio on the Farm Bureau phone line. Let's flip over to Ole Miss. Offensive guys here, how high does Greg Little go in this draft? Well, I think it could go high as five to Tampa. Um, his, oh, wow. His, uh, his combine will be pretty important. I, I, since his freshman year, he's he looked like an NFL left tackle at, at most times. I and, mean, again, guys get beat. You know that's that's going to happen, so you can't expect them to be perfect. But um, I think he could go as high as that, or he could end up in the middle of the first round. I, I'm, you know, either way, I think if he comes out to the combine and is great and does great in interviews, there's not a lot of there's no Joe Thomas or you know no guy like that in this draft, and so somebody's going to have to be that top ten pick as a left tackle. Jonah Williams from Alabama gets that run, but I'm guessing. A lot of teams are going to view him more as a guard um, than a tackle, okay. uh, and and I think um, we'll have to see how that plays out with him. And maybe he's the other guy that's kind of in that mix. But um, I like Greg since he since he got you know he got a little bit of playing time as a freshman, and and uh, you know he looked good then. And so I think with a good combine, he can really work his way up. Chad, I got about a minute and a half left. If I tell you that DK Metcalf is a hundred percent healthy. Then who goes first, DK Metcalf or AJ Brown? Metcalf, a hundred percent. I think, uh, and but you can't. I mean, you can't do that obviously in the evaluation. You have to. You have to think about that neck injury. Um, sure. But when he's healthy, I mean, it's freakish. I, I don't know. I think the dude has like a forty-two inch inseam, but his feet are so quick that it's a, it's kind of an amazing um, combination. It's. It's Randy Moss-like, you know. I'm not putting him in that class, but when you think about the guy that size with that with those long legs that can really get past defensive backs, can go up in the air. I mean, he's a freakish ability. So if teams are good with his nets, I wouldn't be surprised if he went top ten, like Buffalo, for example. Okay. Um, but, I mean, that's a significant injury that they have to think about. So maybe he goes in the 20s. You know, but I, I think he's a and Adrian Brown's a good receiver. Don't get me wrong. I'm just saying, you know, I, I don't know how fast he's going to run. He's not as explosive, but but um, I think Adrian Brown is closer to like Laquan Laquan Treadwell coming out than you know than Metcalf is. Sure, great stuff, Chad. Really appreciate your time. Have a great weekend. Yeah, thanks for having me on again. Appreciate it. That's Chad Ryder from NFL.com. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming at supertalk.fm be with you this afternoon. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, in Jackson. Rippy's in the studio with me. Hey, Dad is on the Farm Bureau phone line right now. Hey, Dad, I'm not sure why I'm so worried about everybody's television viewing habits this weekend, but I'm going to give you some options, and I want you to give me your top two, or maybe okay. three. Sure, sure. Eastern Washington, North Dakota State, FCS National Title Game, Colts at Texans, Seahawks at Cowboys, Chargers at Ravens, Eagles at Bears, five SEC hoops games, and we'll set the national championship game aside for now since that's not till Monday. We'll start with the Cowboys. I, I want to see what Dak does against that Seahawk defense. Um, after that, probably some SEC hoops, and then we would go. Well, for me, it's 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 Chelsea, Nottingham Forest. But if we're not going to go with that, I'll, I'll go with the, the other uh, the uh, other NFC game: Eagles and uh, Bears. So wait, Chelsea dropped seventy three million bucks in a transfer fee to uh, pick up the American. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. You excited about this? Pulisic. Well, I mean, it's it's tough to get excited right now because he won't come in until next summer. But uh, definitely a a big building block for the future. Yes. Yeah. So they uh, they like bought him on layaway, right? (laughs) Basically, they they bought him. Which, by the way, I'm a big fan of that. Why why deal with trades? Just buy the players. I would, how much easier would that be in, in, in American sports? But, yeah, yeah they, they bought him, but then they immediately loaned him back to the team they bought him yeah. from for the remainder of the season. 
I guess layaway is probably not the right way to describe it. You, you, you buy layaway when you can't afford to actually pull the trigger. This is more like you bought the house, but the people you're buying it from aren't quite ready to move out, and so you're ready to move back out. from them yes. for, uh, exactly. for a few months. Yeah, exactly. Uh, what is Chelsea ultimately going to pay him? Because the $73 million doesn't go to him at all. Those go to the teams. Goes to the teams. He'll probably end up, oh, I don't know, around 10 a year or something like that, I would imagine. Oh, geez. So he's like not even an all-star outfielder. Oh, no, no. I mean, he's only 20. <laughs> he's got a ways to go. But he, but he'll, he'll make his money. I'm not too terribly worried about it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Brian I, I wasn't prepared to come on and discuss uh, – Salary cap for uh, for the EPL today. I'll be honest with you. Wait, is there a salary cap in the EPL? No, there's not. But I'm just I wasn't prepared to talk about any of that. I thought that that was like your your lifeline. Like if you were breathing, oh, man, you were thinking about wrong, Chelsea. You know, I'd locked in. I, I was looking at the rundown here. I was like, all right, we're talking about this. And I was listening to that last segment about the NFL draft and thought maybe you'd come back to that. And then you just bam, pop me with some soccer. I like it though. I thought what Chad Ryder said. Uh, we we started out talking about the Mississippi State guys, um, right? Maybe maybe go in reverse order. I thought what he said about Jonathan Abram really was interesting, and it's something that you're hearing more and more and more of. Yesterday, John Harris said, you know, would love to have a guy like that. Could certainly see him fitting in with the Chiefs, who need some help, uh, you know, in the the defensive backfield. Uh, you heard Chad Ryder say middle of the first round. That that's. Yeah. That's high cotton. He's made himself a ton of money the last month and a half of the season. I mean, he's just been everywhere uh, and, you know, shown that he can do it all. Play pass, rush the passer, defend against the run, leadership. He's done it all. And, uh, you know, he was always going to be a guy I thought was an NFL guy anyway. Maybe, you know, third round, second round, fourth round kind of guy. I don't know. But he has played at an incredibly high level. I would say that he's played at a higher level than everybody on MSU's defense, except for Jeff Simmons for the past month and a half. He, he's, he's played better than Montez Sweat, in my opinion. I, I thought with Simmons, it was an interesting to hear another perspective. We've heard John Harris say that, look, he's going to have to deal with the video. Uh, yes, it's three years in the rearview mirror. Yes, it's been all good for, for Jeffrey Simmons since he's gotten to Mississippi State. Chad's perspective was a, maybe a little bit different. Yeah, he's going to have to deal with it, but because he's got, uh, forgive the way I'm saying this, but three years of good behavior, uh, yeah. that teams are going to kind of, yeah, they're going to ask about it, but they may not dwell on it. I, I do think that's going to be kind of interesting to see, and if that's a closed-door discussion largely, or if it turns into like a mainstream media discussion as we get closer and closer to the draft. It'll be one of those things that as the buzz around Simmons going in the top 10 intensifies, it becomes more and more of, of a national story. Uh, and then you just have to wonder, you know, how much do they focus on what happened and how much do they focus on what's happened since and, and the redemption angle of that story and everything he's done uh, in Starkville and, and in his community since then. So, yeah, we've been talking about it for months, though, that, yeah, it's going to come up. These, there's too much money being invested, and there's just too much uh, scrutiny in the NFL to allow somebody with that to just come in without any questions asked. They're going to ask questions. They're going to want to know what happened. They're going to want to talk to Jeffrey Simmons man-to-man. And I, I don't have – based on my dealings with Jeff Simmons and, and the interviews that we've done with him, I have no qualms about that. I think he'll be – he'll go in there and he'll he'll be straightforward. He'll be honest and he'll be, uh, you know, apologetic. And he'll, he'll be straightforward with them and say, look, that's what happened and it, it's never going to happen again. Yeah. Um Montez Sweat is certainly worth watching. Um, you, you you get the feeling that there's going to be a first round grade there, and you know it's kind of a comparison to the other edge rushers. I think we mentioned this earlier in the week. I don't remember. It, it may have been the day that you were traveling home, but I thought during the bowl telecast um, on, on ESPN they put the picture side by side of Jason Taylor from his days with the Miami Dolphins and height, weight. Build identical. Yeah. I don't know if anybody else is going to make that comparison, or or if teams are going to make that comparison. But if you could get that kind of career out of Montez Sweat, then you're taking that guy in the first round, no questions asked. 
Yeah, in today's NFL, it's all about the passing game, and, and, and on the defensive side of that, it's all about disrupting the passer, and that's what Montez Sweat does best. He's maybe the best pass rusher in college football this year. He and Josh Allen dominated the SEC from a sacks perspective, so those two guys are going to go very, very high. I, w- I would imagine first half of the first round for those guys, as, for that, that guy as well, so yeah, with Sweat, you said Jason Taylor. I mean, if you tell an NFL team, hey, you're going to get Jason Taylor's career from this guy, they're, they're going to be lining up to pick that guy in the top ten picks. So I don't think Sweat's going to go that fo- that that high, but I do see him as, as a mid-round, somewhere in the 15 to 20 range. Hmm. Um, what do you think success in the draft will mean for Mississippi State from a recruiting standpoint? And now it's not just one year. You know, there there was a pretty good stretch where Mississippi State was not producing guys for the NFL. And right. when you kind of went down the list of, okay, active players from SEC teams, there weren't very many. That's not the case anymore. You know, whether you're talking about the offensive or defensive side, but now you're looking at Fletcher Cox and Chris Jones, and now you're going to have Jeffrey Simmons, and you're going to have Montez Sweat, and you're going to have Jonathan Abram. And you know John Banks had some time in the NFL, and then you got examples. Dak being the primary one on the offensive side as well. Is that something that Mississippi State is actively using and recruiting? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it shows. Look at the uh, the recruiting class they have this year with four four star defensive linemen committed. Well, I mean, I think a lot of that is built on the back of. Fletcher Cox and Chris Jones and Pernell McPhee and now Jeff Simmons and Montez Sweating that way. Defensive linemen know that Mississippi State's a great place to come and get developed. Brian Baker, longtime NFL coach, so he's one of those guys. He knows what it means and what it takes to become a pro athlete. So, And same with the, the DB position. You mentioned Banks, Darius Slay, uh, and now you're going to see Jonathan Abram. Will Redmond was drafted. Um, Terrell Buckley working with those guys. He knows another former pro, former pro player. So he knows the path to, to get to the pros. Yeah, State's selling the heck out of that. And obviously, well, I think the biggest selling point for State as opposed to maybe, say, Ole Miss. Ole Miss is sort of, you know, become this place where, hey, they had three first-rounders and they may have three first-rounders again this year. But when you look at, you know, a little further, yeah, Tunsil's going to get that big second contract because he's playing really, really well. But Treadwell, no. And, and then Robert Kimdiche has just been sort of up and down out there in Arizona. But at Mississippi State, McKinney and Cox and Slay, Preston Smith have all gotten huge second contracts. Dak looks like he's on his way to a huge second contract. Chris Jones on his way to that. That's what MSU is going to talk about and say, look, we can get you set for life. It's great to go in the first round, and we want to go in the first round. State's going to have first-round picks this year, but look at the success of these guys beyond that, that first contract and how much money they're making. Life-changing money. That's something that these, these high school kids, I think, have been very receptive to. Yeah. That's an interesting take on that, and uh, you know, it's one. <laughs> you know, you, you you start thinking about sixteen and seventeen year olds and the messages they're hearing, and you know, is that one that that takes where they get past the idea of first round or NFL and really kind of dig into the idea of, oh yeah, but my second contract and my third yeah. contract. You're, you're asking you them, sell to, them on that. You got to sell them, them to ten, soak ten up a lot. Right? Now, you could you got to sell them on the fact that 10 years from now, if you follow this path, you could have 50 to $100 million in the bank. I mean, that's mm. and that, that is a tough sell, but that's what you pay coaches, you know, three, four, five million $5 million a year to do. What about the fact that a lot of that's previous coaching staff? Well, I mean, it is, but, you know, Baker and Buckley are still here, and I, it's, I, I don't think, you know, Joe Moorhead having a guy like Saquon Barkley on his resume is going to hurt him very much. Yeah, that's, uh, that's probably a good point. All right, let's talk some hoops. Coming up next, we'll take a quick timeout. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. Sports Talk Mississippi on this Friday afternoon. Glad to have you along for the ride. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Scott Riffey, Brian Haydad. Hey, is landing a better job or furthering your education one of your New Year's resolutions? Whether it's a technical career program or university prep classes, Mississippi Gulf Coast Community College has something for everyone. And the JT Show will be on their campus in Perkinston on Wednesday as they get ready for spring registration. Start the enrollment process now and begin working toward the career of your dreams. For more info, go to mgccc.com. Dot edu. And also on Friday, excuse me, on Thursday, 
Join the Gallo Show live for the Mississippi Economic Council's Capital Day event at the Jackson Marriott. You'll hear from the governor, lieutenant governor, speaker of the house, and many more. You can register that morning or pre-register at mec.ms. Brian Haydad on the Farm Bureau phone line. Let's talk hoops. Mississippi State's last game was on December 29th. Their next game is January 8th. Is the week-and-a-half break between games concerning at this point of the season? I think it has to be a little bit, doesn't it? Uh, you know, just because especially when you're playing well, you want to keep that momentum going when you're winning, and, and you don't want you don't want to stop playing. So I think it's a little bit of a concern. But at the same time, you know, in the last game they had, Robert Woodard suffered a an ankle injury, so it gave him a little time uh, to recuperate, and the state should be fully healthy. And I mean, I, I my, my my thought process is this that if they were going right into playing Kentucky or or, or Tennessee. Maybe a little bit of a worry, but your first two games are against South Carolina, who was the only team in the SEC to have a losing record uh, in non-conference play. And then you're at home against Ole Miss for what should be a big crowd and, and, and a good atmosphere. So not, not, I'm not saying that it's a soft start or anything, because anything in the SEC is going to be difficult. But if you were going to take some time off and recuperate, these two teams at the front end of your schedule are probably you know, two of the teams you'd like to see. you think they would do anything different from a scheduling standpoint? If they had it to do over again? Well, I mean, not not really their decision, obviously. And we talked about this last week, I think, that you know this was part of the, the SEC Big 12 challenge. Uh, you know, because State's not a part of it, they, they're not playing this weekend. Um, so, I mean, I mean, if you're saying like they're going to go back and change, you know, not hire Rick Ray, I guess that might be the answer. No, no, that, I don't mean that. I mean, that's where it, this happened. But so, I mean, so we're I'm sitting sure on ben December Howell, 4th. I guess what I'm saying is, do you think maybe Ben Howland wishes, kind of knowing when league play was going to begin, that he had plugged a game in there on, you know, Thursday, January third, a non-conference game in, and maybe spread spread things out a little bit more. Maybe, maybe, but I mean, you know, Howland had a lot, had a ton of input on this schedule, and, and you know, he's the one who was you know so adamant about beefing it up after what happened last season, where State wins what. Uh, I want to say 21, 22 games in the regular season and gets left out of the NCAA tournament because the RPI was not good. Um, so you know, Howland knew what he was. You know, when he he had the he had the final approval there of, of whatever this schedule was going to look at. So I have to assume that he was okay with this. And you know, maybe just you know the break over the holidays and let everybody sort of re- regroup and refocus, and then you come back strong for that for that first week in January when school's back in. Uh, maybe that's that's what he wanted to do. So I, I definitely think, you know, if you're, you're MSU and you can go back to those last few games when they were playing well, you wanted to keep that going. But at the same time, you know, it, it, you can't ever get too much rest for these guys because the grind is, is really about to start up for them uh, next, yeah. uh, next, what is that, next Tuesday or next Wednesday against South Carolina. So Ken Palm, which is like basketball metrics. Rippy, you've studied Ken Palm a bunch along the way, right? Some. I don't know about a bunch, but yeah. Well, maybe maybe the two of you guys can help me with this. I was never like super math guy uh, at all, but there's a win probability statistic for each game remaining on the schedule, and Mississippi State has a 31% chance to beat Kentucky on the road. They have a 31% chance to beat Auburn on the road and a 29% chance to beat Tennessee on the road. Hey, Dad, those are the only three games, according to Ken Palm, of the 18 SEC games in which there is not a 50% or better chance for Mississippi State to win the game. Now, with that said, his projected SEC record for Mississippi State is 11 and 7. So that's right. the part that I got to have some help with. Yeah. And I, I don't. Uh... I don't, you know, know the math of it myself. Obviously, he doesn't think the team is going to go. What would that be? Uh, Thirteen and three in conference. Uh, That's not even right either. Fifteen it's, and three. Fifteen and three in conference play. Um, you know, I guess that there must be some that are, you know, close enough to a coin toss for him that that he, he went with the, he went the other way. But eleven yeah. and seven for this MSU team wouldn't would be a fine finish to the conference uh, season. You'd be twenty three and, and eight. eight. And you're, you're probably a four or five seed with that kind of record. And like you said, if, if my guess is, without looking, because I don't have those numbers in front of me, if there's some coin tosses in there, you're, you're talking about you know a couple of baskets away from being you know 13 and five. Yeah, and in that let, case, okay. You, you gotta, 
chance to be a three seed, I would think. Yeah, and the explanation here, projected record is based on cumulative probabilities of winning each game and may not equal the sum of individual game predictions. So, uh, again, that that's somebody who has a strong math background and statistics and all that good stuff that can explain that to you. I'm not that guy. Um the only thing I differ, I don't think it's a four seed, a four or five seed at eleven and seven. Okay. You don't? Okay. No, nah, I would, I would say more like a seven or an eight seed. Probably a you think seven. So? Yeah, at eleven and seven in the conference. I would think. I think with with MSU with what they did non conference wise, they're they're going to stay pretty high up in this net rating throughout the year. And the SEC should be a tough league. Shouldn't be, this is, it wouldn't be like going 11-7 and seven four or five years ago. I mean, you should have some good wins in there. I mean, maybe maybe they need to you know make sure they secure, you know, they play Auburn twice and they play Kentucky twice. So they sort of drew the short end of the stick on that. You know, they don't have to play Tennessee t- twice, thankfully. Um, but if they can get, you know, of those four games, they definitely need to win one of them. They don't need, you know, a split would be fantastic if you just win the home games against those oh, two yeah. teams. And I think they can, especially Kentucky. Kentucky has been really up and down. They're playing well right now, but they've been up and down. And, and Auburn, you know, Auburn's really, really good, but they're not unbeatable. So, you know, if, if State can find a way to win those two home games against those two teams, it's going gonna, it's gonna to bump up their net rating, and that, that'll push, push them up a little higher into the, uh, into the brackets. I, I'm not sure that, that you draw up the start to the season any better. In league play, yeah. than what Mississippi yeah. State's got to go on the road to South Carolina on a Tuesday night, and then come back home for games against Ole Miss, who's better than people thought they were. Yes, and and Florida, who I don't think this is just my opinion. I don't think Florida is as good as people are giving them credit for. Mm-hmm. And then to go to Vanderbilt, who yeah, always a tough spot to play, but you go to Vanderbilt on a Saturday, uh, you know, a couple of weeks into the the league season. I mean, you know, maybe it's you'd rather have South Carolina and A and M and Missouri in the first four, but that's yeah. not a bad way to to give yourself a chance to get off to a really good start in league play. You have a great chance to be four and zero when you travel to Lexington, and if that's the case, I mean, at that point, State is what sixteen and one, and you know that's probably going to be one of the top games in the country that week. Uh, you know, that'll definitely be a top. Probably top 15, maybe even like a top 12 kind of matchup between those two teams. And like I said, Kentucky is good this year, but they're not the unbeatable juggernaut. This is not the Kentucky with Anthony Davis and Michael Kidd-Gilchrist and the Harrison Twins. I mean, it's a good Kentucky team, but it's not Calipari's best team by any stretch of the imagination. So, And, and Mississippi State, I mean, all their veterans, whether the Weatherspoons and Holman and Peters, they've been to Rupp. They've played up there. They're, they're, they're not going to be intimidated by it, so... Yeah, I mean, the, the first four games, if you can be 4-0 playing those games, you're going to have a ton of momentum when you roll into Lexington, and you'll be feeling pretty good about yourself if you're Mississippi State. You're going to buy my lunch on, on Tuesday, January 22nd? You going to be in Starkville? I'm probably going to cruise over to Starkville for that Kentucky-Mississippi State game on that Tuesday night. I think we can make that happen. Wait, wait, wait. No, that game's in Lexington, isn't it? Oh, uh, okay, you're thinking shoot. about the No. Well, we can get on, we can we can get on the cross one and just fly up there, right? Um, uh, I'll have to see if it's booked. <laughs> I haven't haven't checked. That's your wife's that plan. I know yet. the truth about that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I drove my wife and daughter to the airport this morning, and it wasn't the Oxford International Airport. Uh, I promise. Okay. <laughs> I promise. Oh yeah. Okay. So it's Saturday, February 9th, when Mississippi State gets Kentucky in Starkville. Yeah, I'll have to work that day. Sorry. Oh, well. Won't make it. Um, yeah, I think, I think the, the slate of games this weekend, it's not it's not like blockbuster games, but we were talking about, the, about this earlier this afternoon. It feels like outside of, of South Carolina and Texas A&M, and I think to this point of the year, those two teams are clearly kind of below everybody else. Mm-hmm. Pretty much anybody against anybody is worth watching right now. Yeah. Look at Alabama-Kentucky this weekend. I mean, that's a, that's a tough road game for Kentucky to start with. Yeah. It, uh, it really is. More coming up. We'll... Here we go. Sports Talk Mississippi. Five o'clock hour with you on this Friday. What does that mean? What does it mean? know what it means. Welcome to the weekend. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, 
Brian Scott Rippey and you. Work week, even though for many of you it was a short one, is now in the rearview mirror. It's funny, though, if you get a random three-day weekend, like you have a Friday off or you have a Monday off, it feels like the week goes by in the blink of an eye. But sometimes, like around the holidays, after you had a bunch of time off at Christmas and your schedule's just out of whack, this is a weird week. Like New Year's Day is on a Tuesday. Do you work on Monday? Do you not work on Monday? And then you're trying to get back into the swing of things and play catch up. And it's like it doesn't really feel like as short of a week as that random, oh, I got Friday off. I only had to go Monday to Thursday. Does that make any sense at all? Or is that like the, the most outlandish thing I've ever said? I was following you for the most part. Does that make sense, Borky, or no? I mean, how often do we get three-day weekends? Well, you you never use your vacation days, though. That, too. So, no, I I wasn't following you just because, I mean, with the exception of Fourth of July, really, I mean, we're doing shows. We did, we did New Year's shows. We did Thanksgiving. We didn't take a day off that week, so... Memorial Day, Labor Day, those are all. I mean, Memorial Day is a. Well, that's the day that regionals are announced for baseball. Labor Day is usually right after the first football game of the season. So yeah, yeah I guess so that's a good point. No three day weekends for us, man. Not that I'm complaining about the job that I've got because it's it's pretty awesome. But the three day weekend thing doesn't really happen for us. You've got to use your vacation days more strategically. Well, my thing is, I mean, we don't have enough, especially now. Uh, have enough money after the wedding and stuff to go on vacation, and I'm not just going to take a day to sit <laughs> around here in town. You know, I, I'd much rather work if I'm going to be here. You don't want a random Friday to not ever put pants on. <laughs> yeah, I'll I'll take them. Oh man, yeah, sports but then talk I feel for- like I'm. You know, I mean, you guys are up here doing a show, and I, I would get FOMO and, and then just want to be at work. Fear of missing out, FOMO. No, I, yeah, I know what FOMO means. I, uh, I'll teach you how to do nothing. Yeah, I love you guys, but I don't think about you a whole lot on the. I, I'm not worried about what I'm missing if I'm off on a Friday. Maybe it's because I have the utmost confidence in you, Borky, that you will handle everything, and there's just nothing to worry about. Yeah, that's what it is. And that is what it is. It's exactly what it is. Hey, sports talk brought to you every day. By Mississippi Land Bank online, mslandbank.com, Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. Are you a farmer in North Mississippi? Some of you are. And I know some of you that are farmers in North Mississippi listen because in the late fall and sometimes early in the spring when you're on a tractor, you send me pictures. You know how much I like them. I don't anticipate any uh, tractor pictures today unless your tractor has like a, uh, a Mercury 300 on the back of it and you got pontoons instead of tires. It's rained that much. I doubt anybody's in the field uh, right now. More like maybe trying to sneak off to the deer stand of the duck hole. So uh, if you're a farmer and you've got land financing needs or equipment needs or kind of ancillary financial needs as it relates to the farm, Mississippi Land Bank can help. They've been financing land for 100 years. It's a little over 100 years now. And they understand your business. They understand that farming has changed drastically through the years. It's not just... Plant your seed, wait for it to pop up, and harvest. It is a business. It is a technical business. It takes crop loans. It takes uh, strategic swapping of equipment and knowing when to buy equipment. And Mississippi Land Bank wants to be your partner. They will walk with you step by step. They understand the business because many of the people at Mississippi Land Bank either are farmers or have been farmers or are very much tied to farming. You can find a branch location near you. They're scattered throughout North Mississippi. You can also find the phone number online, mslandbank.com, where they know the lay of the land. All right, let's um, let's go to the college football fix, shall we? College football fix driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Log on to buyfordnow.com. That's a website that will show you everything that Ford in Mississippi has to offer, like the uh, the great deals that are going on at a given time. Cars, trucks, vans, SUVs, you can build what you like there. You can find the Ford dealer that's closest to you. As a person who drives a Ford, I cannot recommend them highly enough. All right, college football fix. A couple of stories for you this afternoon. Number one. 
Justin Fields transferring to Ohio State. According to CBS Sports, the former five-star quarterback is transferring to the Ohio State University. Letterman Rowe first reported the news. 24-7 Sports Ohio State site Bucknuts confirmed it as well. It's been rumored for a while. Fields is going to enroll at Ohio State for the spring semester, which will allow him to participate with the team in their off-season program and during spring practice. And guess what else he's going to do? He's going to seek immediate eligibility. Does anybody believe that there is even a remote chance that Justin Fields will not be granted immediate eligibility? I hope, and I hate to say this because I'm a big proponent of athlete freedom. If a coach can just pick up and take another job whenever he wants, the athlete should be able to go to whatever school they want. If a student at a college can go transfer from one school to the next, so should a football player without penalty. However, I hope that the NCAA denies this waiver if they approach it the way that it is reported they're going to approach it, going to approach it. By, How are they going to approach it? By oh, the, the the race issue? By painting Georgia as an atmosphere, a hostile racial atmosphere. If that is the route that they go and are successful, one, it open up, opens up floodgates, and two, it's so shady because... It's false. And we using that, yeah, yeah. just using that as a bait to, to tear down Georgia, the University of Georgia, which I've been, I think it's a wonderful place. The institution as, as a whole will get a, a black eye for a long time, not just recruiting football players, recruiting students as well, regular students, because a lawyer wants to get a kid eligible to play football somewhere else by painting an atmosphere that doesn't exist is shady and immoral to me. Tom Mars representing Justin Fields. Do we know that for a fact? Yes. They're going to paint it as um, racially hostile and therefore dangerous. It's just a guess. But I think that's a reasonable guess. Wouldn't like like Tom Mars to be disingenuous. No. No, not at all. Hope you're sensing the sarcasm there. If Justin Fields is allowed to transfer without sitting out, does that completely blow the lid off the whole anybody can transfer at just about any time? Yep. Get a lawyer, write a strongly worded waiver request in the NCAA because a precedent will just grant it. And they might as well then just change the rule to free transfers whenever you want. Isn't it tough to blame Fields here? Because you shouldn't need a reason like that or like have to search for a reason to transfer and be immediately eligible. To Borky's point, kind of. If Justin Fields didn't feel safe, why didn't he transfer immediately? If let, let's Because pretend. he felt safe. Because he didn't not feel safe. Yeah, I think we all know what's going on here, but it kind of doesn't it in some ways put the kids in a bad spot it where does. they're having to pursue something like this instead of just be like, hey, I want to transfer and be eligible immediately. And the thing is, when the rule came out, that was the that was the take on this show. Richard, you remember this? You nailed it. You said this is going to open up a Pandora's box of things that the NCAA does not expect. I remember that. And now they've got waiver requests claiming that a school has a atmosphere of racial hostility coming to their desk now. Which, by the way, just isn't the case. It's not the case at Georgia. And let me let you in on a little secret. It's not the case at Ole Miss either. It's not the case at Mississippi State. It's not the case at Auburn. Not the case at Alabama. It's just not the case. Can you find isolated incidents at all, every single one, all of those places? Of racial hostility? Yes. The answer is 100% yes. We went down this road a few weeks ago. And, and and what I said to you then, I will say to you again now, not trying to beat a dead horse here, but you can find people and incidents that are racially charged at every college and every university in America. There are no exemptions. There are no exceptions. 
It doesn't matter if you're in the SEC, the ACC, the Big Ten, the Big 12, the Pac-12, the American Conference, or the Ivy League. If you're in the NAIA, if you're at a Christian university, a Catholic university, a Protestant university, a secular university, a state university, an Ivy League school, it just doesn't matter. It's everywhere. So don't paint Georgia as that. Let's just call it what it is. Justin Fields is a number one recruit that wants to play quarterback at a major school. And he didn't win the job over Jake Fromm. And now he's going to try and go beat out another highly recruited guy, Tate Martell, for the job at Ohio State. Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.